0: I had some hopefully quick follow up. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm very behind on my podcast at the moment, but I was listening to episode 80 of this fine show, uh, in which I did not appear on. And (laughs) Kai mentioned 80 (laughs) in in passing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm behind. And saw that Kai, oh, sorry, heard that Kai mentioned he likes to find the best burgers in the cities that he visits. And then it got me wondering what, in Kai's opinion, is the best burger in Sydney? Not just this in Kai's is- opinion
1: that is uh, i have this the only like a- true answer mm, yeah. okay
2: we've been th- we, we we've been talking about this a lot because kai and i really miss burgers from a specific place in sydney mm-hmm.
1: so the right answer is burger fuel in newtown interesting burger fuel in newtown what have you not been to burger fuel no, in newtown no no have you been oh, to burger man. fuel at all no oh it's a chain they- is <gasps> it no, no not really
2: it, it has multiple stores
1: <laughs> but but they're like they're not really... Uh, it's not
2: like a fast food chain. Everything takes really
1: long. But it's also... Uh, they're they're not actually... It's not a... It's kind of a weird chain because they have, like, one in Dubai, one in Sydney, one in... Like, it's technically a chain, but they are not, like, McDonald's. That They don't have multiple in the same city. It's not kind
2: of. the
0: franchise. Sure. Okay. Have you but ever I been think- to Mary's in Newtown? Yes.
1: Yeah, I Mary's, how, have. How we- does it compare? Because I think that's right up there. It's, it's about um, the difference between... Mary's is a decent burger. Burger fuel is like, I really have to stop myself from eating anything else ever again. Interesting. Okay. So I don't know what kind of crack cocaine they put into those things, but it's amazing.
2: And this is also one of those weird places where they actually have really good gluten-free burger bun options, because usually the bun is very, like, either falling apart or, like, tasting a bit, like, sweet. Like, you never... It's it's so hard to get a good burger bun if you want a gluten-free one, but they have really good ones. So... If you need gluten-free burgers, you should. But offer. it's also
1: like the beef quality is super nice. They're a bit thicker, so they're they're not like just I don't know completely fried through. So you have a bit of juiciness. It is um, the the beef is all uh, grass-fed. It's it's just it
2: mm. And they have like a i think if I remember correctly, they have like a really nice standard burger, but they also have some more adventurous ones, like one with mango on, which was surprisingly good, so if you want to have something more special, you can do that
1: and then also their sides add to oh. the already good burger because they yeah. have uh kumara like sweet potato fries they they're,
2: they're they're really good, but the regular fries are so good too it's i think they double fry them
1: mm. but the the uh sweet potato fries. They also come with this amazing aioli. <laughs> it is it's just overall I don't know I don't know what they're doing there, but it it really works mm-hmm. and I've not like any other like even even like American chains like I don't know in and out it's it's not even closed it's yeah burger no appeal.
2: no we've been trying to find a great burger place here we haven't i think maybe we haven't gone far enough in our like from where we live, but we haven't really found anything that is remotely close to this, so that's very, pretty sad.
1: it's also just like it is a very special type of burger like Mm -hmm. they do have the basic ones and they're fine but i don't know it's just a very it's not as common outside of australia to have like aioli on a burger for example but it really works with that one. That's true.
2: Is that an Australian thing?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's not a Swedish thing, not a German thing, not a Canadian thing. So, But yeah. it was in Australia. So yeah. I just call it an Australian thing. Might be a New Zealand thing. And you guys claimed it. I, I don't know.
2: Just like the flat white. Also
1: possible.
0: Mm. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? All right. But that's yeah, good to sort of know. I'll feel... have to, uh, have to yeah, consider you it next time in Newtown. Because um, who doesn't love a good burger? Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Good to know. Uh, I don't think we've had that discussion before, so that was um, very enlightening. <laughs> it's not a discussion, it's just a, f-
1: a statement of facts.
0: Okay, all right. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, you got to go and good and good you gotta give us a follow-up on that. Okay.
1: Well, I had a very good burger the other day from a place called Down
0: and Out um, in Sydney. It was quite <laughs> course good. Course so. it's called
1: Down and Out. It's gonna be- I, I feel like I heard of this. Yeah, Down and a out? I think they yeah, opened they- just, after, uh, just before we left.
0: they okay, relatively yep. new, right? Yeah, I think there's a few around. I'm not sure when they've all opened but yeah um there it was quite good uh it was definitely It's up supposed there.
2: They, to be like uh in and out of australia
0: right yeah sort of um but a bit better in, in my <laughs> yeah. opinion uh, i actually, found that
2: in general like the produce the fresh produce quality is really good in australia yeah like if yeah. you want like tomatoes or lettuce on it like you can easily it's hard to go to a burger place that doesn't serve you fresh vegetables um
0: so that's pretty good yeah, no. It's good. Lots of good burgers. We're spoiled for choice.
1: Yeah. But we've been to down and out in, in the uh, Liverpool Street, I think, in Sydney. We've been there? Mm. Well, it's pretty good, but not not Burger Feel good.
0: Okay. Um Topics. All Let's right. get started. Kai, you mentioned you're running the Catalina Beta. Is this on your um Your iMac? On all
1: of the machines. Everything. Um, I was kind of fed up with uh, this bug or this kind of weird rendering glitch that I've had um, for a while now in my iMac that I, I don't know, I mentioned a while ago already that I had those weird red squares sometimes appearing and I thought it was some kind of uh, GPU RAM issue. And then I updated to a new version of Catalina that fixed it and then it came back. And now I was at the same point again, where it's like every time I open Safari window or, or tab, it would first show a completely red square. It's like, all right, let's give it another shot. Go to the next beta and see if that fixes it. And as of now, it d- did fix it, but who knows? It might have just been an NVRAM reset that happened as part of the update or whatever. So I don't know. I hope it's fixed. I hope it's not hardware, because I really don't want to deal with carrying iMac to a store <laughs> or anywhere really. I'm not even that picky. I just don't want to carry. what I carry my Mac. Yeah. Uh, and if I do, I need to do it after we release our our app. So mm-hmm. I hope this gets me to that point at least. Yeah. Okay. Nice. How but yourself? overall,
2: you haven't really had any problems with this Catalina beta, right?
1: So far, so good. No, mm. everything's good so far. Um, not as as we mentioned last time. It's not a huge update, though. Like there is this the. Uh, the keyboard thing and the xpc thing and i think they added in this beta that you get lyrics for your apple music but overall this is a pretty minor uh mac os uh catalina update hmm. so i wouldn't expect a lot to break it i mostly expect small bug fixes here and there and so far seems all right
0: Yeah, um exactly uh, my experience has been very much the same that it seems pretty solid Um, I haven't run into any issues that were not there in previous versions of macOS, Um, but the real advantage, I think, is because it is a bug fix update that you are sort of on the bleeding edge of the bug fixes. Uh, It's interesting (laughs) because the iOS beta has some weird bugs. Um, They're a little bit better as of beta 2, which came out a few days ago uh, while we are recording. Um, But I had in beta 1 a lot of text selection issues. So I know they made a lot of uh, changes to text selection on iOS in iOS 13.
1: And I guess it's either changing or being redone for this version. That that is a really good sign because text selection in 13 was always kind of weird. It broke Mm -hmm. it. Like all of my ways I would usually select text, it broke
2: Yeah, Yeah, but but I think isn't that partly because of um, 3D touch being gone?
1: No, no, no. Just in general, how the, like, you swipe over words to select them never works okay. and moving things around. It just... I don't know. It didn't work well for me. Like, there were too many two similar gestures okay. that would lead it to not work for me anymore. So, if that's being touched at all, uh, I think it can only get better.
0: Right. Yep. No, nice. It's good. Um. Hopefully, by the time the public releases out, uh, everything's sweet. Um, Did you notice yeah, just- any
1: explicit differences in text selection? Well,
0: I... No, because I'm not trying to, though. That's the problem. Like, I always find the new ones, whenever they pop up, it's always an accident, and I don't Mm -hmm. like them. I just want to do my good old, like, you know, double tap to select or double tap an empty space to select all. and Like, Mm -hmm. it's just... It's breaking all those kind of things. And I think mm-hmm. it's just buggy because it will select the wrong word or it will select a sentence that is not whatever I tapped. Like, it does weird things in this beta. Um, right. But yeah, I don't use any of the new ones. And I, I'm sure they're great, but also I don't want to be using three fingers to swipe around on my phone to text like It's weird. It's weird. The, it's phone the whole hand. Small. Yeah, no, it doesn't uh, make any sense. Um, should have
1: bought a iPhone 11 Pro Max. Mm, well, more space for all those fingers.
0: Yeah, so no, I'm not a fan of the new text. Oh, look, I'm sure it's fine. Like if I if I wasn't accustomed to the original or the like, yeah the original way of doing things, it would probably be fine and probably better even. Um, but I have years worth of iOS muscle memory that I am hoping does not break when they release the next version of iOS. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. But nothing like that on macOS. macOS seems okay.
1: Have you tried the um, folder sharing since it came back? Nope. I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> it is back on uh, beta.icloud.com as well, so you can yeah. now create folders or make folders into shared folders again. Okay. And I believe uh, your your Catalina pre folder sharing builds will actually obey to that setting. Nice so you can cool. try it without having to upgrade all your machines if you want to. if but you want to live on you... the bleeding edge uh, probably not in this case not the bleeding edge of bug fixes but the bleeding edge of having <laughs> putting your files into limbo if you're up for that uh, betacloud.com and make your most important folders shared between whoever you want <laughs> good time. Maybe,
2: maybe just create a test folder and then share that one. Don't do what Kai said. <laughs> I, um, do you? So you're running Catalina, the Catalina beta, on both of your or on on, on all of your computers? Like
1: I have one computer at the moment. Um, okay. So the answer is yes, <laughs> yes, that is right. Um, okay. Yep. But no, no obvious regression, anyways. I, I think that's no, pretty solid. It seems to. I mean, it seems like some things are probably either held back for later betas or. If we see some kind of announcement in March, maybe there's something interesting in there that they want to talk about when they're actually uh, presenting it. But so far, it seems like a suspiciously minor update, f- considering that it's a hmm. point, point, really.
2: So I think, <laughs> Kai, for, it, it's a, like you, you given your reasons why you decided to upgrade to the beta on your main machine. Um, Zach, why, how comes you're still using beta and not just running the latest Catalina build?
0: Because I never deleted the profile. And <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah, that's I mean, I did kind of manually habit. choose to upgrade, um, but the thought process behind not worrying, the, th- the thought process behind not worrying about removing the profile was simply that Catalina and iOS 13 were buggy enough that the beaters could only be an improvement <laughs> on the release.
2: Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Fair enough.
0: I don't know if that's still a logical thought process, but yeah.
2: I, I know that Kai has had some issues with his GPU glitches. And other people have reported other type of issues. But I honestly feel like people are giving Catalina a little bit of a hard time. I personally don't think it's too bad to use in any way. I think, yeah, it's frustrating when all of your apps all of a sudden starts to pop up messages saying, allow us to do this, allow us to do this, and not really giving a reason why you should be allowed to do it. Like That's something that could be nicer, but I, I haven't had any like direct bugs myself but maybe that's because i'm not using it with any like external things i'm i'm, I'm just using the computer straight up as it is i don't have a uh, like any i don't use an external keyboard often i don't use a trackpad i don't have a big big machine like kai's having it's just a laptop and maybe maybe i'm just in a unique scenario here i don't know do do you two feel
1: like but it's also that there are still like there are certain improvements especially if you are a developer um, yeah. that just outweighed a lot of, for me at least. I mean, it is a bit silly that you get like 12, uh, 12 notifications. Hey, uh, you wanna. The, should this app allow access to the downloads for mm-hmm. you? Like, okay, whatever. And keep even
2: going. The, the, the problem isn't that they ask for, I mean, it might be a problem in itself that all of them start to ask for access all of a sudden. But it's just that sometimes it's not really clear why it's yeah, being yeah. asked and what is happening if I say no mm-hmm. at this point. Like, those are the type of things. It would be nice if the developers of the apps could have explained why they need access to certain things. Mm. Um, yeah.
1: But, um, as a developer, just having the Metal, like the simulator using the Metal renderer for for uh, for any of the IR simulation simulator stuff, is just such a quality of life improvement.
2: As in the t- s- speed of running it,
1: yeah, like battery life, right? Because it uses your GPU, mm-hmm. uh, which which is significantly. Uh, first of all, the experience is way better. Like especially if you have like anything e- like Apple Maps in your app, it's just significantly faster. But overall, it just feels a lot faster. The simulator and it uses less uh, less power because it's uh, GPU accelerated now. Um, I feel like that alone is has such an positive impact on on your kind of developer uh quality of life mm-hmm. that it's that alone was worth it for me and then i mean for swift ui you're kind of there's not a lot of options you have to not go to Catalina but even that like a lot of those <laughs> kind of previous are also metal backed and also gain those benefits so i think that is uh that alone for me outweighed most of the issues that I've had. I mean, I would really like that silly GPU rendering issue to disappear. And I hope that is a software problem, not a hardware problem.
2: Ah, I'm sorry. I just see that Zach has a real-time follow-up and now I'm very sad.
1: <laughs> what?
2: I just read the notes that Zach added here. I'm sorry. I know this is meant to be waiting uh, to the end, but this yeah, is Yeah, we're, we're meant to talk
0: about it at the end, but we can, yeah. we can skip to it. Uh, Burgerfield is closed permanently what? closed in Newtown, but it looks like it's been replaced with something called Burger Doctor, so I'm not <gasps> sure how similar this place is, but they both have the same address, and when you search for Burger Fuel now, there's one reference to it, and it says closed, and the others all reference Burger
1: Doctor at the same What um, the heck?
0: Hmm. All right. So,
1: Another good, re- good thing we left it. That- <laughs> yeah, I'm no longer <laughs> feeling sad about leaving Sydney for that. Why? that is ludicrous who knows
0: maybe good burgers are unsustainable no i don't know
2: (sighs) okay sorry that's that's very sad devastating So for everyone who listened and were like i'm gonna try burger fuel i'm sorry sorry that you that you missed this and sorry that we didn't mention it earlier (laughs) anyways so um should we move on to our next topic that is a bit more tech related
1: Uh, sure, sure. Apple Edge caches. Yeah, have either of you seen that? Apart from me putting it into show notes. Yes. No.
2: I looked into this a little bit. (laughs) Um, I don't. uh, uh, Yeah, I'm. I'm still curious to hear why you put this in the show notes. I think it's an interesting concept, but I don't know when this started to be a thing and. Why it's a topic in this particular episode. <laughs> like, why is this important right
1: now? All right. I, I found it interesting for multiple reasons and, uh, let's see if, if any of those reasons apply to, to the two of you. First of all, I, I think this is the first usage of the dot Apple top level domain. So this is something I found
2: to be interesting. So for anyone who's listening, you can either follow the link in the show notes or you can go to the URL. Apple. No. <laughs> <laughs> the URL is cache.edge.apple. Mm-hmm. And this is a top-level domain. They're using the top-level domain .apple here. Mm. And that's cool.
1: Mm. Uh, and I think that's the only public uh, usage of the .apple domain. Um, I don't think there's anything else. I tried some of the obvious ones, like apple.apple or www.apple. None of those work. But cache.edge.apple does work. And the other one that I find interesting is... Um, I mean, Apple is kind of relying on a lot of their competition in, in the uh, cloud delivery mechanisms, right? Apple does a lot more services and Apple spends a lot of money and time pushing into services.
2: Mm-hmm. But, as in services for like, any things, services things right? like
1: iCloud, yeah. photo storage, but also like movie streaming, TV shows, things that uh, you need games, for? app store. Like all of that, right? Yeah. Anything that goes over the wire, which yeah. is more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what coincided with the growth of Apple going into services uh, was also the probably the bills that Apple paid to, as far as I know, as of right now, uh, Apple is using services from all their major competitors, like Amazon AWS for some stuff. Uh, Google Cloud for some of the stuff and um, Microsoft Azure for some of the stuff. So as Apple is kind of growing its service business, they also pay more and more money to to their direct competitors mm-hmm. uh, in in, certain, in one one way or another, right? And that's probably something that they're not super excited about. So I wonder if this edge cache, like the idea of an edge cache, is that Apple puts machine puts actual hardware into the data centers of uh, like service providers. Like your internet service provider, let's say in Canada would be Telus. That's who we're with. They would put one of those Apple uh, edge caches into their data center. And if you're trying to access, let's say, any kind of static data, let's say you want to watch the um, Myth- Mythic Quest mm-hmm. uh, TV show they could deliver that directly from that edge cache. So would, the hop would be from your computer to your router modem to the data to the ISP and then directly to the Apple cache. So and it's basically a
2: temporary way of distributing the data that they provide? Yes. Okay. It so is, it's, it's not permanently stored there? It's more, it's caching it from when someone starts to use it?
1: Yeah, especially pro- like high demand things, right? So Apple would probably know if the next season of, let's say, um, The Morning Show is being released, those kind of things would probably move into the cache.
2: Would the same thing happen if they are rolling out the next iOS version? Sure. Yeah.
1: Like any, I mean, we don't know exactly what Apple will use those caches for, but anything that is not user data, yeah. at least as far as I you would assume that, that is designed, yeah. um, it will be anything that's not user data. So static data, like apps, updates. The iCloud would not be a candidate for it, then. Mm, probably not. Yeah, no. I I wouldn't I wouldn't really see how Apple would do that while well, still maintaining all the security and all the things that they want to do around user data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would assume it's kind of focused on on the things that are easily cacheable, that like app binaries. So the top top one hundred games could probably yeah. live in something like that, and TV shows and Apple Music, right? Like there's probably I would assume similar with a lot of kind of those kind of media things that uh. Like fifty percent of people listen to one percent of the songs, kind of thing, where it's like if if you can, I don't know, if you can cache the uh, uh, top one hundred songs, you're probably having a lot of traffic that goes to your cache rather than being going through expensive uh, from the ISP to to some kind of Google, Amazon, or yeah. Microsoft data. Uh, center and then pay for all of that yeah there's probably a lot of value to be gained out of something like that and i think that's interesting right because apple's not been doing like first of all it seemed like an explicit decision well everyone you know
2: when this started being a thing
1: i think uh, a few weeks ago a month ago yeah yeah it's fairly new so maybe they needed those uh uh, rack-mounted (laughs) macros
2: maybe do you think this is at all (sighs) do you think this is Either a sign that Apple is not going to make their own data services, data centers, or is there a sign that they're wait, <laughs> what do I say that? Is this a sign that they will either do it or that they won't do it, or do you think do it's what? unrelated? Make What's the it? Create their own data centers.
1: Uh, I, I think this is a decent solution to save a lot of money and make the experience better, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, long term, if you have uh, those kind of s- caches in in ISPs uh, within their network you you can kind of deliver a lot of your content a lot faster for your users cheaper because I mean you have to have the upfront investment to put it there but Mm -hmm. then you don't pay anyone else any kind of monthly bills on top of that it's cheaper for the ISPs so they're probably also happy with that uh, because they they can just serve them kind of locally in their own network. So but do you think
2: they could potentially still roll out their own data ser- data centers?
1: But that's a different thing, well. right? Apple kind of have their own data centers. Yeah. But yeah. so far, Apple has kind of been not going that route of all of their competitors. Yeah, right? yeah. Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. all That's what I was thinking.
2: A this might be a, not a replacement, but like a way of getting around to do that anytime soon. Yeah,
1: I, I don't think those are exclusive. I think. Mm. Um, I mean, Google both has data centers and caches. Like, Google already has edge caches in, in data centers, uh, in within ISP uh, networks. Oh, okay. So, Google has both. Okay. It's just interesting that Apple's now also going that route and serving uh, specific content. And uh,
2: did you, from, from reading about it on Apple's website, it seems a bit like Apple is not it's it seems like you need to request to be part of this uh, sort of agreement. It's
1: invitation only.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it sort of seems like you as a um I uh, like an internet service provider, you would have to apply to Apple in order to be part of this program. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's correct? Or do you think it's all like Apple is reaching out to companies to make the deals?
1: I would assume that like the ones that Apple already works with or has connections mm-hmm. with, that they're like all the bigger ones they're probably talking to, right? They are probably talking to the AT&T's and, and yeah. in, in the US. And they're probably something like Telus in Canada and Telstra in Australia. I, I would assume there to be those kind of people Apple's reaching out. But there's, there's so many ISPs around the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of them probably see benefits of having Apple caches in their data centers rather than piping the same data to all those customers through some kind of other peering that's getting a lot more mm. difficult for them and expensive. And mm. and also, I mean, it, it is it is a win-win, right? If Apple has the hardware, puts it in, in there. yeah, uh, It's getting faster to consumers.
2: Yeah, this would also have an impact on the... Consume from from what the consumer is seeing as well, right? It would be quicker for me to download something directly rather than having to. Yeah,
1: yeah. Just alone, you have fewer hops. Yeah. So you yeah. have fewer things that could go wrong. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I mean, so for overall, for the ISPs, this is a better experience for the for the customers, I guess. i I, I
1: would expect that, and it's also like update days for Apple, right? There always there's a lot of peak yeah. data during yeah, those yeah, kind definitely. of periods to to have a cache that can serve that, even if it clears out some of the apps. It might still be a win, so I think that's at least in, to me. It's interesting too. an interesting approach that Apple gets there now too. Mm. And I wonder, I wonder what the hardware looks like. <laughs> I really want to. See I, that. I
2: wonder if it's the uh, Mac Pro, the uh, recommended mounted Mac Pros. So. Yeah, I
1: don't know. I don't know. Would be would be fun. So, if anyone has uh, ISP insights and has access to those Edge nodes, I wouldn't mind a picture. <laughs> I will not show anyone. <laughs>
2: I don't think anyone will send you those pictures, guy. We'll see. <laughs>
1: All right, cool. Speaking of fun network things, Man is cringing at no! how fun this episode, I it, and Zach th- is regretting to have joined this week. <laughs> um, I know where this is going already. Yeah. So after after years of using our AirPod Extreme, it got flakier and flakier, and I thought. Might be time for for our Airport Extreme to finally retire. So I went to Amazon and ordered a 802.11ax, or I think now it's coined Wi-Fi 6 router. We got it delivered. It didn't do IPv6 properly with our provider. And our Wi-Fi uh, throughput was unexpectedly flaky. I was like, oh no.
2: You do sound like you're telling a a five-year-old that their favorite pet just died.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It it kind of felt like that. So it's like, what do you do at that point? (laughs) The normal thing. You order another one. (laughs) you get that one delivered also same day delivery with amazon and then you spend about 48 hours a b testing routers (laughs) in different environments with the speed app, speed test app open on your phone almost uh (laughs) i think the speed test app now has the most screen time on my Mm -hmm. on my phone by far and i bother Marlon every hour can you do a speed test from this corner please um so yeah, I, I thought it would be easy, but it turns out routers are still pretty messy. Like, it's there is a reason I bought the AirPod Extreme, and I regret that Apple left that space even more. Because it's actually surprisingly difficult to find a router that behaves re- correctly, being able to steer the bands correctly, because sometimes my phone seems to fall back to the 2.4 gigahertz band. And then it has terrible speeds before it realizes that there's also a five gigahertz one that it should connect to, at which it which would get way better speeds. And it's super inconsistent in what it connects to. Um, I don't want to split up the SSIDs to a f- two point four gigahertz and a five gigahertz because that's no way to live. So um, as as you could probably expect, I am now already I already added a third router to my wish list that I'll probably uh, try next week. So this just might be an ongoing... Yeah, so
2: this will be a saga that you all can follow along. <laughs>
1: um, but I will I will withhold most of this information until I have a candidate that I can actually recommend. But so far, my recommendation is take good care of your airport extreme <laughs> if you do have them. Uh, because, man, that was that was quite nice to just plug it in and it works. So two things here. Um, the first is, it sounds like Orbi meets all of your requirements, just putting that out there. Um, no, I have a requirement of at least four uh, gigabit Ethernet ports on the <sighs> router. What, it's to have three? The Orbi has, yeah, one WAN, like one for you, where your network comes in, yeah. and then two other ones. But that's Only too, too little okay. because we have four all devices, right, be- or sure. rather, four places that we want gigabits sure Uh, ethernet to go to
0: the second thing is (laughs) you mentioned 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz network do you need a Mm
1: -hmm. 2.4 gigahertz network at all uh it appears like our vacuum cleaner is doing 2.4 gigahertz only Uh, (laughs) of
0: course there's always that one thing
1: that one thing you can't connect
2: could you buy a new vacuum cleaner
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think there's a reason that like a vacuum cleaner doesn't need a crazy amount of throughput, right? And no, but no. it would prefer the range, yeah. That's exactly it. Yep. So you get a better range with 2.4, so it's defaulting to 2.4, yeah. which is the right decision. It most but it's will not do like 2.4 your 2.4 apartment
0: 4. is massive.
1: You would have 5 gigahertz coverage everywhere. Like, Yeah, does,
2: would a vacuum cleaner support 5 gigahertz? And That's no,
1: the no, question, it, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, it appears like I've never seen that one jumping to the 5 GHz okay. uh, band, so I assume it's I was just thinking if only 5
2: gigahertz is available... It would I, I, it I
1: wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. But yeah, I I, I agree. We would have had five gigahertz coverage throughout the entire place. But yeah, that vacuum cleaner is not playing nicely with that. It appears. But yeah, I, I is think there.
2: Is, have you looked into? Like, have you looked at eBay or something to see if anyone is still buying, selling the old. I don't want to buy
1: those either. There's a reason that I want to upgrade this. I mean, in general, Apple did still do uh, like security updates, but it is definitely not the greatest idea to have uh, like uh, end of life, end of support network hardware at home. So it would be nice to have something that still gets updates every now and then. Yeah. That's why I'm going through kind of the major. Like, I tried uh, a Netgear. router the um atp link and the next one will be an asus and i mean they're all they're all kind of weird they're all like super fast gaming router and they all have like super flashy colors and like red stripes and tries to look like a ferrari i don't need a router to look like a ferrari i need a router that can That's probably what we have the
2: ferrari for <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: Uh, I want a router that can probably obtain an IPv6 address from our uh, provider Mm -hmm. and then do proper proper Wi-Fi and and network delivery throughout our home. I I don't need it to look crazy or do weird built-in game ping improvement VPNs, which I don't even understand how that would work. Why would (laughs) a strange VPN... Oh, improve the gaming experience. Wait, what? They have some weird... I don't know what they're calling it. But some of them have really strange features that I'm... Most Usually, you can just turn them all off. But okay. I don't want any of that. I just want... Ideally, I want an, uh, one that supports Wi-Fi 6. Not because we have a crazy amount of Wi-Fi 6 devices. But because um, those are new. So they get to... I assume they will get the longest lifetime. And I didn't really want to worry about this again. I mean, we've had the Airport Extreme for. 10 say, years, yeah. Almost. I mean, maybe 7 or 8 or something like that. Whenever the, the kind of tower-looking uh, Airport Extreme came out. And mm. I'm okay with that. I don't need to upgrade my Wi-Fi uh router yeah. set up every, every few years. But it's nice to have years. something
2: that is still being supported.
1: Yeah, especially something that supports like Wi-Fi 6 because your iPhone 11 does support Wi-Fi 6 already. So it's kind of nice considering that most mm. of the devices we'll buy in the near future will probably be Wi-Fi 6. So it's probably nice to have. I I just assumed it would be a nice uh, idea to buy a Wi Fi six router, but sorry, maybe... is
2: IPv six and Wi Fi six the same thing?
1: No, no, no. IPv six is just different uh, IP address. So IP mm-hmm. yeah before versus IPv six. Yes. Um, but Wi Fi six is just a renamed. You know how all the Wi Fi standards used to have an eight hundred two eleven name. So they mm-hmm. like I don't know like your your Mac. Boke, for example, supports 802.11 AC, which mm-hmm. is kind of the faster, faster Wi-Fi standard. Yeah, before yeah. that, we had 802.11 N, before that, Draft N, and then uh, B and G, and all the other ones. Mm-hmm. But no one knew what it was, and it was kind of confusing. And most people, like realistically, no one, yep. most people didn't know what what they were buying. Okay. So the Wi-Fi Alliance decided to rename uh, the. Uh, I spent way too much time looking <laughs> at this. Um, to rename all the uh, Wi-Fi naming. Uh, th- they renamed all the standard. Mm-hmm. So now the new one that used to be called 802.11ax mm-hmm. is now called Wi-Fi 6. Okay. Then what your MacBook has has been rebranded or renamed t- fr- to Wi-Fi 5. Oh, okay. And then okay. there's also Wi-Fi 4, which is the generation before. And it makes it a lot easier because yeah. Wi-Fi 6 is the... the kind of new shiny one mm-hmm. um, and then the next one probably most likely fingers crossed will be called Wi-Fi 7 and okay. it's a lot easier to just keep up going in so, numbers and in. from
2: this naming scheme the um, AirPod X dream would have been Wi-Fi 5?
1: yeah Wi-Fi okay. 5 and uh, y- the iPhone 11 Pro is the first iPhone that supports Wi-Fi 6 okay but that kind of but that's
2: what will continue being the norm
1: yeah. in the future. Okay, and it's it, it has quite significant speed improvements. So you can with um, Wi-Fi six you can get, I mean, up to a theoretical four gigabit of Wi-Fi, which is quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that is Wi-Fi, so the the, um, the theoretical speed is roughly cut in half, mm-hmm. uh, realistically for for um, in practice. And there are also currently no clients that actually support the 4x4 uh, Wi-Fi 6 standard. So most of the clients are 2x2. So that's uh, cutting that again in half so you can get gigabit speeds Hmm. through Wi-Fi, which is still quite impressive and will still match our line speeds. But uh, if you would be in a place where you have more than one gigabit uh, uh, internet connectivity, you might need faster Wi-Fi. But for us, like uh, Wi-Fi 6 with the one gigabit Link is is plenty. Hmm. Anyway, so uh, they all seem to be a bit flaky and unreliable and have weird user interfaces, like their web... Uh, I don't know. (laughs) All those web interfaces to get them set up, they're so weird. Like, like there's still weird CGI interfaces and they're, like, refreshing under your your mouse every (laughs) second because they want to show the updated state and... Uh, Yeah.
2: Software has not been their focus by the look of it.
1: I mean, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I did like just having the airport uh, utility, right? That was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. It did most of the things out of the box with enough tweaking that you could kind of fix the things that you wanted mm. specific for your uh, setup.
2: Sort of like most Apple products, I guess. Mm, yeah. yeah. <sighs> just kind keep of on, keep on looking. Keep on trying them out.
1: Yeah. So I wonder if we should just go for Wi-Fi 5 one, like one of the top... Top of the line Wi Fi five, then we'll just work workhorse for a little bit, and then update when we actually need to. We'll see. Oh, I might have a pick in a week or two, <laughs> or three. We'll see. All the Wi Fi routers. Mm. Speaking of flaky tech, <laughs> have you seen new the uh, some of the new uh, flexible screen phones? Flip phones are coming back.
2: I really don't think they should be called flip phones. <laughs> I think we should just coin it as a foldable phone. If, uh, yeah,
1: I I mean, foldable seems flip.
0: more. <sighs> They're weird. I mean, it's a trend thing. It's a design thing, isn't it? Almost a fashion thing. Um, yeah, it seems like it's going to be a trend <laughs> for a few years. Do you think Apple will go that direction? Ooh, it's... Uh, never say never, because <laughs> I think back to... or well, Apple will never make a larger phone and then Mm -hmm. Apple comes out with larger phones. Like, you've got to go where the demand is. And, look, it might not even be that foldable phones are better. It might just be that demand is there because people want something new and different and shiny. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if that's the case, then Apple would probably have to meet demand with that. I... I would imagine that, you know, it would be alongside an offering of sort of existingly shaped phones. Um, it mm-hmm. sort of wouldn't be exclusive, but that's just a guess. Um, mm-hmm. if they eventually uh, did that, but yeah, I don't want to say never because I think we've seen that Apple will do what they need to do. And like it's if the market demands it, the market demands it. That's kind of how things work. So it makes sense to do it in that case. Um, mm. yeah.
2: I mean, you've been wanting a small phone for you want been wanting to get back to the smaller phone for a real long time, Zach. Could you would you buy something like this if Apple would make it?
0: But they're like the foldable phones. My understanding is they're still quite thick. Then, like Mm -hmm. that's the trade-off. Is that yes, they can be smaller when they're folded up. Um, but you you fold them and they're they're massive. Um, you know, sort of thick and heavy. So I don't know if it really solves that problem.
1: But it's also for me the the fully extended part is the part that is too big to me. Like, I don't care how big the thing is in my pocket. I'm mm-hmm. I'm fortunate I mean, enough to have, like, pants with large pockets, right? So I, I can fit... I could fit an uh, iPhone 11 Pro Max in, in my pocket. That's okay. I don't need it to be flipped to them be... Sp- or, like, folded to be smaller. Mm-hmm. My problem is, when you unfold it, it's still a monster that where you can't reach the corners.
2: Okay. So and the problem just, is more the feeling when you're holding it, not when you're actually carrying it. Yeah,
1: because okay. for me, a lot of those kind of technology things... I mean they're all more for how your input is better, right? The mm-hmm. iPhone revolutionized smartphone input, not output. Like we've had phones with screens before, mm-hmm. but input, like multi-touch, was what made this a special device. Mm-hmm. So input to me is way more important than output, especially for a mobile device. But input becomes harder when the size of the thing is so big that my, my mm-hmm. physical dimensions of my hand no longer be able... to to reach all the parts that are required for input. And we do have some things like the swipe back gestures to navigate through through like navigation stacks and like the home home mm-hmm. indicator where you can swipe up. Those kind of things do kind of try to deal with the fact that phones are too big for hands now. Mm. But that's that to me is the problem. It's the input factor, not the how do I store it in my in my pants or in my <laughs> you know? Yeah. So to me, that that as long as we're not getting, I mean, there's also different things. Maybe for a tablet, that's more interesting to me, where you like have a smaller tablet that could then potentially fit in the pocket, mm-hmm. and then you unfold and you have a tablet-sized device. Mm-hmm. That that I see might be, and that was Samsung's first approach, right? Um, but f- as far as flip phones, it's interesting, but it seems to not be. I mean, I'm, I'm too sensitive to scratches. I wouldn't want to have another phone with a with a plastic screen, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, but the the latest one from Samsung hasn't been plastic
1: though. That one well, was actually
2: glass. Depends or it
1: technically... what's the definition. There, there's there're technically glass glass parts in that screen assembly. Okay, but yeah,
2: because but it's still, I mean, it's still flexible, so I assume.
1: So what actually happens is that they have multiple layers, right? You have mm-hmm. the OLED in the bottom, then you have. Um, over that, you, because OLED can't be exposed to, to, to air, right? So you have your kind of film over that. Mm-hmm. Then you have the glass part, mm-hmm. which is like... Actual it's glass. a super thin kind of glass component type thing. Okay. And on top of that, you have a... They call it a protective layer, which is just a, still part of the display assembly because you can't remove it. Okay. Um, that is plastic.
2: So what would it feel like? Because I heard many... I heard some reviewers it's say plastic. that... It, because the I, heard, touch uh, plastic. I heard some reviewers saying that it feels more like glass this time. Is that...
1: It might be better plastic, but the top, okay. layer, is, top layer is on top plastic. of the glass type material is, is still plastic.
2: Okay, so what's the benefit of even putting glass in between then?
1: Good question. Good question. It might feel a bit more sturdy when you touch it. Yeah, because maybe. There is, I mean,
2: it's heavier. It's more resistance, I
1: guess. Yeah, it might not bend in as much as yeah. you swipe over it. Mm-hmm. It might be that. It might pull straighter. Like, yeah. after the faults, maybe the creases less. But you still your finger still glides over plastic. Yeah. Which is not the worst feeling in the world, but it's definitely... <laughs> you feel the difference of sliding over plastic yeah. and glass. And it just scratches like crazy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm concerned about as well. And it doesn't really seem like it's closing perfectly either. I think there's still a little bit of yeah. a gap there. So, if you get anything in between there, it's going to scratch... Like, like, double scratch your
1: phone, basically. Okay. Yeah, um, so you now have a phone that can that scratches like plastic and shatters like glass. <laughs> Isn't that great?
2: Yeah. So that, yeah, that's what I was coming. That's why I was wondering why they even bother putting the glass in there. Probably it is somewhat of I a mean, feel it's,
1: thing. It's still early days, right? We're, we're getting there step by step. So, um, so uh, yeah. Samsung has a tendency of releasing things when they're f- physically possible. not yeah. When they're yeah. ready for that's for the real thing. Users.
2: I think if this is something that Apple would ever make, I think they would wait for it to, to be. A great experience. I think that's in general what Apple has done in the past. They try to make something that's really good, even if it might not be the first one in its, in its space. So I'd rather, rather have them wait a bit longer for it. And I don't feel like I'm uh, really in need for a foldable phone, but it's obviously interesting to see when like new things are being tried, tried out. So I think. Just for the sake of seeing where it can go, sure. Mm. It's an interesting experience. experiment. One thing I feel like um, I would be sensitive to is the creased. The creased? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Creased. That's the name, right?
1: Yeah. The the, yeah. the folding part.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So the folding part in between. Because it seems like, especially at least on the Samsung, you can still sort of feel the crease when you're moving your thumbs over it and i think if you have the crease in the middle as the old uh, as the first foldable phone by samsung had then you won't interact with that very much but now when it's folding horizontally no it's the the crease is horizontal then you sort of swipe over it all the time every time you scroll the view
1: yeah so i mean it's very clear that this is not If the technology would stop here, this was a failure all along. But if the idea is that this is getting better, right? Now we already have glass in there somewhere in the middle. If we can actually get that all the way to the top and not make it shatter and still Mm -hmm. make it... You know, that's an improvement. And in in a few years, we get somewhere where it's like, this is a decent foldable phone now. Do we need foldable phones is a different discussion, but at least... We're getting to a point where that's feasible, and we might yeah, not even. It's still
2: it's could still lead to interesting discovery in terms definitely. of like foldable screens or flexible screens in general, even if it might not be the perfect use case to have it in a foldable phone. Yeah, that's it's interesting.
1: Oh, still devastated by the burger fuel news. <laughs> yeah, disappointing. <laughs> it looks like um, they d- did. <laughs> While talking about Samsung phones, I also uh, <laughs> I looked to the burger doc. Uh, went to the burger doctor website, and it seems like they tried to mimic some of the menu of Burger Fuel. So at yes, least
0: I noticed it looks similar because uh, they had a menu, mm. the Burger Fuel menu, and then they had the other one menu. Yeah, yeah.
1: So the yeah. names are different, but they okay. are like they have a uh, something pain and a double pain, and they're similar to the uh, the um, American style that they had. At Burger Fuel.
2: So maybe it was more of a rebranding.
1: No, because Burger Fuel seems to still be around. Uh. I wonder if
0: they're owned by the same people or the same people work there, potentially. Um, Mm. Because, I mean, they're in the same... Space, so it seems like they're trying to have replaced burger
1: fuel yeah or burger doctor was they were just big fans of burger fuel and were devastated that they went away yeah the menu looks very similar very similar items even their fries are similar
2: i mean they could also have gotten into some type of dispute with the other burger fuel owners and then they decided that they want to split up and they still like the burgers so they just make the same burgers
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'd be curious. So we, we You need should go
2: there, Zach, and report back.
1: Yeah, yeah. Probably will. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. unfortunate that you don't have to uh, before and after. That would have been more indicative of... Because now you might go there and you're saying, oh, they're terrible. But I, my recommendation is the, uh, without having been to this particular venue, but its, it's predecessor, Double Painkiller would be my recommendation because... Oh,
2: it sounds weird. Matches the closest to the
1: amazing burger that they had at Burger What is that,
2: a double cheeseburger?
1: A double grass-fed Aussie beef, double melted cheddar, long cut pickles, uh, Dijon mustard, relish, and aioli.
2: Hmm. Yep.
1: Yeah. All right, cool. Design.
2: Yeah, so you wrote this cool. in the show notes for last episode, Kai. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I remember you saying what it would be about, mm-hmm. and I thought that sounded interesting. Um, so this is... C- could you still refresh... Our listeners, on um, what you want to talk about,
1: <laughs> and totally not you, who who remembers every single I word. Yeah. That I, um, yeah, it Was just considering that we're kind of coming to a state of like most of our app is now at a state where it's it's usable. Uh, we're still like making sure all the invoicing stuff is working. So in the in the test build that we are preparing at the moment, invoicing will be disabled just to make sure we're not we we have everything working nicely before people. Uh, try that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're kind of getting to a point where it's like more about let's, let's create app icons and let's create um, like the website and those kind of things, right? So mm-hmm. we're in a different part of design where it's like all the things kind of need to come together.
2: Mm-hmm. But I also think um, I mean, we have also done... we. we- We've also been designing the app throughout the development process, mm-hmm. and I think since it's only the two of us, Kai, we have been very flexible in that. but I think even when we have been working in bigger teams, we always like to work even if we have a dedicated design team we work we we, we both like mm-hmm. to work very closely to the designers um but I just think it's interesting to talk about like the different states of our product and the different focuses you put mm-hmm. on design and the different ways of getting to design because I think um, what I really like with Swift UI, which I think I mentioned before, is that you can sort of prototype the design at the same time as you're making your actual app. You don't necessarily have to, like, you, you can prototype some layouts. It's a lot easier than like laying something out in the storyboard because you can move a button from one side to another without having to reset all of your auto layout constraints. It's quite easy to just play around with the, mm-hmm. w- with the UX of the app. Um, but now I feel like we're at a different state, like you're saying, Kai. Like we have
1: to sort of to, to get that, everything. One more together. thing. Yeah, I almost feel like SwiftUI is a pretty good prototyping tool, right? Mm-hmm. Because we often design. We we talked about that multiple times and from multiple angles, but we kind of design the 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 all the way down to view hierarchy, like the, the smallest part, yeah. and yeah. design that and kind of playing around with it, and then we are presenting in in whatever kind of presentation mode we want. Which is kind of unique for Swift UI. So it's often yeah. that we're kind of laying out those views in Swift UI as we're designing them mm-hmm. because we're like, all right, first of all, I mean, there are multiple angles to that, right? Not everything that you could design, you could necessarily implement in Swift UI. So there's definitely a, mm-hmm. we're more limited here kind yeah, of factor yeah. to that, right? So we didn't want to go all crazy in, in Figma designing our, the most ideal UI that we could uh, dream of and then realize, wait, this is really, really difficult to implement. Mm-hmm. And considering that it was our first serious Mac app that we started working on, there were also certain things where it's like, it was quite nice to have SwiftUI's behavior kind of guide us on how should a Mac app work, right? Yeah. So I'm just like, wait, how does this work? And it, it lays out certain things in a specific way. I'm like, mm-hmm. alright, that makes sense. Like forms where you have like a date picker where you have the label to the left and then the picker to the right and all of the labels on the left are kind of uh, indented by the same amount, but yep. but uh, trailing aligns those kind of things. It does for you, which is kind of nice to 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 kind of get you there without having you having to think too much about where where should those be? How should those be laid out? Mm-hmm. But then also just the the ability of being able to present those views anywhere. I mean, that's kind of what a prototyping tool is for, right? You just describe what you kind of want to see. So you put all all those elements in, in whatever place you want, and you kind of arrange them nicely. And it kind of felt redundant to have a tool to do that and then have a tool that feels kind of similar in a lot of ways mm-hmm. to do it again. Yeah, yeah. So I think SwiftUI there also kind of replaced the prototyping tool for us and the design tool, but that was more by necessity than than... Choice, right?
2: Yeah. 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 And I think if I would lay something out using UI kit and storyboards, I think I would benefit a bit more from using something like Figma and prototyping things beforehand because I found that that allows you to think a bit freer and you don't have to, like, in order to prototype something using UIKit, you have to, it's quite a lot of boilerplate code you have to set up for it to work sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think the process is just very different depending on what you build in the app. in. in the end, I think that hasn't been the case before. Like, even if you design an iOS app and then you like things out the code versus like things out in storyboard, you can like, it's a similar type of design process. I think Mm -hmm. often you benefited from still having like a prototype before, before starting to implement it Mm -hmm. Uh, because I sometimes feel like. Um if I'm if I'm not really sure what I want to do, it's very quickly to lay it out in Figma because I can just try things out. And I feel and like you that's what I don't have to worry Swift about the UI, data, right? You, yeah. That's
1: yeah. a nice thing. In prototyping tools, yeah. you don't have to worry about the data flow.
2: Yeah. And I feel like that's what Swift UI gives you a mm-hmm. lot. And you can easily also play around with what data you want to display in mm-hmm. the in the UI. And I found that to be really nice. Um Yeah. But I don't think that I don't know if I have much criticism with that. Um, I think this works really really well for us and I mean it
1: was the first time we tried this, but I would I would agree it was more successful than I thought.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was expecting way. to have to like go back to the drawing board and like actually <laughs> first i I think I expected to play around with Swift to see its limitations and then go back to Figma to try to design something around that limitation. Mm-hmm. But I felt like the way Swift the way I could work with Swift made me able to like just design it there in the first place. I think mm-hmm. and I, I really I really like that
0: mm-hmm.
2: And I think that's sim that would also be similar to how you would do it uh, for a website as well. You might lay out your CSS and your HTML. Mm-hmm. Um, before you plug in all of the data logic mm-hmm. um yeah, so I don't think uh, I think this is a pretty neat way of working with it,
1: especially if you're kind of limited by the amount of people you have, right because yeah. you don't really have this kind of use the tool that you're best at, and different people might have different we kind of we knew we would build it in swift because yeah. using yeah. that as a prototyping tool was super obvious and and made a lot of sense, yeah, but I do wonder if that will allow more. Or kind of almost, it really lends itself. Like, that's why we're seeing a certain... People that used to be more on the design side yeah. enter like Mengto, for example, right? Being a designer, having not done actual, uh, app development before, kind of building entire apps now and, and development courses because it's so much closer to a prototyping and design tool yeah. of how you, how you play with those things. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. kind of cool. And I wonder yeah. if that can help teams in general yeah. to, to, work closer together rather than having this, I mean, stupid, weird uh, <laughs> enterprise uh, businesses, right? Where it's like, there's a design team in one building and a development team in a different one. Yeah. No one knows each other and their only interface is whatever handover uh, yeah. process they have, yeah. which is super silly. Yeah. And then yeah. you get that and you're like, Ugh, oh, those are weird things are really strange to implement, but the design team might not know. Yeah. You know, if they yeah. don't know that something could have been moved by five pixels and would have saved a week, they probably wouldn't have cared But because you're not in the same room and you can't talk to each other, they might never know. And the next design will be slightly annoying again for other things. So bringing people together so they can actually figure out what is difficult, what's easy, what's fun, what's not fun, what's nice, makes so much more sense. And I wonder if SwiftUI will help with that.
2: Yeah, and I think I've I've always been sort of advocating for people to pick pick up multiple skills as they are interested in learning Mm -hmm. new skills. So I think it's... It's useful for someone and it can be very interesting to learn the design part, even if you're a developer. And even if you mostly will do the core implementation logic in an app, even if you will do more programming tasks than the UI tasks, it's still... I think it still really help it 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 feels really good if you're I f- I can imagine many developers being able to get to a neat design relatively quickly because you have something that helps you like Swift UI. But I also think it's the other way around. I think um like you said, Kai, many the de- designers could potentially um Get a better idea of how 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 the implementation works of an app, and I think even if you end up having different to- sort of focus in your team, like even if you focus on development, but you also have an understanding of SwiftUI. Uh, uh, sorry, if you if you focusing on designing, but you also have an understanding of the development, and vice versa, I think that can really just bring the teams together even mm-hmm. if you end up designing something separately uh, and not implementing the whole thing maybe you maybe you just focus on the swift ui layout part i think this can just um really help communicate things better and i think rather than having two separate teams in two separate buildings like you say kai i think people can get a better understanding of each other's jobs and know what potential uh, <laughs> sort of know like you say, like if, if you would design a button to be three points to the left, if you have experience as a designer implementing that in SwiftUI, you would know that uh, it's easier to do it in a more flexible way. I don't know, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I think in general, this is a way for people to get a better understanding of the skills that are needed for designing and development, no matter where you lay. I think it just brings people together in getting a closer understanding of what makes a product in the first place. Mm
0: -hmm. yeah no it makes sense um i get what you're saying It's, it's interesting how it's sort of shifting that dynamic of design versus development and sort of blurring the lines between them which i think is what you're getting at as well
2: yeah yeah and i don't
1: how do you like to work on those kind of things like if you're like if you have the ambition to design and build something that's nice not just functional how do you approach that both in in your uh, professional as well as in your uh, free time life, Zach.
0: Whenever I've done designs, um, I just build it and tweak <laughs> things on the. No, because design tools are confusing and complex, and I'm not very good at using them. Like it doesn't change whether I'm doing things in code or doing them in a design mm-hmm. tool; it doesn't make me better at them. Uh, mm-hmm. I do have plans for some personal projects to hire a designer because that is the. Uh, probably going to be the best way to get quality design for a particular thing that I would like to have good design for, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, and I'm not willing to invest the time and effort to perfect design um, when I know it's going to take me 10 times as long and probably be half as good um, If I as if I
1: can just pay somebody. But who after that, sense. it will only take you five times as long hmm. and it will be uh, 75% as good. Sure,
0: but that's not a skill I have time that i'm prioritizing learning at the moment
1: okay so, okay it's not yeah, a never yeah, situation
0: understand. it's a in the immediate future this is yeah uh, yeah it's one of those things i'd rather and, throw money at.
2: yeah i understand that everyone has different constraints but i do think if you just have a little bit of time to like set yourself into that world and just understand like how the design process works even if you end up hiring someone i think it's at least it's still good for you to have the experience With the tools and sort of, it just helps for communication. So if I need a certain asset exported to me, I can ask whoever is able to export that to me to do it in a certain way because I know what I, what I need and what tools they have. So I think understanding the other person's tools is, is really useful. Even if, I mean, uh, you, you might not be as good of a designer as someone you would pay to do it, but at least getting a similar similar knowledge in the area that you hired a person in can be really useful, I think.
1: But also don't underestimate the adding another person's... Adding another person means you have to convey what you're trying to achieve. You then have to talk about multiple iterations of design and where it should go, then certain usability things that you probably have in mind. So you might save a lot of time on the design part, but the overall time might still be similar, just that you're not gaining the same you're still learning a different skill, right? Communicating in, in those mm. kind of environments is still uh uh making you grow a, a specific skill set. But uh, and, and it's that's
0: not fine in this case, because the ultimate result will be better design than if I'd put in those same hours to designing something myself. Um mm. yeah. But yeah, anyway, it's not a that's my philosophy forever, it's that's my philosophy for now. Um mm. Yeah. Mm. but like yeah, yeah, yeah. different no, priorities I, think- I guess. Um given time available.
1: But overall I, I would always like I think the approach of like starting somewhere and like especially if you don't want to hire someone or or if you're not working with someone who's who's like, yep, I'm I'm fine with design. The the approach of just doing something first because if you have taste you will design something and you are unhappy. That's a really good state to be in. <laughs> yeah. Because that means, you know, sometimes you see on the App Store even, you see apps and you're like, holy smokes. <laughs> like, th- this should barely make it past app review. And th- 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 there are sometimes <laughs> larger companies where you're like, did they have no one with taste there? Probably they just had 20 people making a decision together and that's the outcome of it. Um but it's like if you if you're at a point in your design designer uh slice of your of your person uh life where you're looking at something that you've designed and you're unhappy with it, that's really good because that means your taste is ahead of your ability. Yeah. It's it's really hard when it's the other way around. If you're like looking at something that's terrible and you're like, oh, Perfect. You know, but as long as you're in a state where, where you look at things you design and you're unhappy with them, that means you have not reached your design, your your natural design talent and potential, right? Mm-hmm. Because you at some point, your skills will keep up with that. Your skills will keep getting better. And the diff between where you're happy and where you are where you are are getting slight, slimmer and slimmer. But at the same time, your skill probably enables certain taste things more because you're more aware of it, you thought more about yeah. it. Oh. So... At some point, you probably push both lines ahead, and overall, you get to a point where, like, you design a lot better things a lot quicker. And I think that is always a good good indicator that you probably have more design talent than you might hmm. expect. Because I see that a lot, especially in developers. They're like, I'm a developer. I don't. I I don't. Uh, I'm not a designer. I can't do the design. And then there's a design review, and they have a lot of good points that they're making. And that's not. Mm-hmm. you know that's those points are still coming from a design mindset because the design mindset might be it's about user experience or are you yeah. actually solving a problem that that makes sense to solve all of those design yeah. decisions
2: and i think many people who are specifically mobile developers they they tend to be quite versed in the human interface guidelines and sort of know what feels natural on the device that like on ios or on android and i think just from that point of view it's really good too like you you can really give an input even if you don't feel like you're good at the visual design
1: yeah and then there's an then there's the next step when you actually do illustrations and stuff that is hard I think because that feels like the biggest step when you're like Creating user interfaces is one thing, right? That's like, w- worst case, you st- start with Apple's defaults, right? You you need some navigation and you put a tab bar and you're like, all right, I see how the tab bar works. I kind of see like there's, there seems to be an icon, there seems to be a highlight state, there seems mm-hmm. to be text. You kind of get there, right? Mm-hmm. It, it kind of helps you with that component. You can't, I mean, I've seen bad examples, but there's not too much you can do wrong at that point, right? You use a tab bar, you just kind of follow follow what the framework lets you do. Mm-hmm illustration and, and web is somehow more challenging to me because like, it's so free because all of a sudden it's like here you go white canvas go yeah. nuts yeah. like oh man like same for screenshots right i see some apps have beautiful screenshots that are not just the, the like the actual screenshot from the device mm-hmm. but they have like nice illustrations around it and some kind of theme that go through and those kind of things are to me a lot more intimidating because there is so much more potential and there isn't a unequivocally, this is terrible to use part to that, right? Mm-hmm. When you see the outcome, it's like, I see how this is nice, but getting there is, to me feels a lot harder because I feel like my usual approach of doing something and iterating yeah. seems to... It still gets there when you get to, like over the first few humps, but the first few humps are way higher and way more slippery mm-hmm. <laughs> than, than it is in, in mobile application or even web application design because you can always first make it work and then realize what isn't right so i think those even those kind of very different approaches to to design that i find interesting and and challenging in very different ways
2: mm, yeah but i think no matter what it's always good like i think that's why it comes back to learning different tools i think it's great if you're a designer and you are able to play around with swift ui because then you know what the native components are for the platform and even if you then go ahead and make all your designs in figma you will have a better understanding of what can happen in in ios development and i, I what i've been feeling i've been feeling it uh, i've been feeling the same thing with design so i've been starting to play around with more design tools to make um like app logos and i think this was a while ago now, but at first, when I started making logos, I didn't know about all the layerings you can do. I didn't know that you can make things gradient. I didn't know the type of like uh, cutting you can do with different tools and like how you could make shapes. Uh, and like make things transparent and those type of things like adding translucency to a logo can especially for mac add like a really cool effect to make the to make the logo a bit transparent like that's that's really cool but i think if i wouldn't have had a chance to play around with the design tool i wouldn't know that that's an option so even if i would ask a designer to do like even if i would pay a designer to do something for me i would not be able to ask them can you make this transparent because i didn't know there is a transparency option so i think Even if I, I mean, now I ended up making the logo myself because I think it's fun. Uh, But even if I would ask someone else to make it, I think the fact that I have played around with the tools myself really helped me knowing what to ask for.
1: Hmm.
0: No, I guess it depends how much control you want over the output of that designer as well, though. Um, You know, sometimes it could just be like, hey, go nuts. And then trust what they come yeah. back with. And that's a very different relationship to you to working super closely with somebody and saying exactly what you want. Sort of you telling them the vision you have for this and then them coming out with the design. But regardless, mm-hmm. the the point of paying somebody or working with somebody who is um who is a professional designer is that they're aware of all those things and they understand when things like shadows and transparency and all of that make sense and when they don't and You know, you're you're sort of you're not just paying for them to physically use the design tools, but for all of their expertise in how these things work and what looks good on a small phone. And ideally, you know, if you're designing for a mobile app, they've got experience designing mobile apps and icons and tab bar icons and all those kind of things. Um, Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong; like, I think there are many, many like people who are really talented in the design, both of logos and of apps. But I just think. The fact that I have experienced a bit a bit of experience in it myself will just make the communication a lot easier. Even if I wanna put all my trust in them. Like I, I think it's still great to be able to
1: talk. But also communication itself, right? Having having a certain level of understanding. It's I mean, I don't know if you've been in those situations, but I've definitely been in a situation where I saw design. I knew it wasn't right, but I couldn't express why. Yeah. It's like you look at it, you're like, it's wrong because um it kind of feels wrong.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You
1: know, it's really hard if you're... Like, the more you expose yourself to that, the more you're able to say... Because, like, you know, the more you're actually able to explain... What the parts are that you don't like about a design? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're like the def- the more distance you are, the more you have to be like do another one, and I tell you if it's better. <laughs> you know, like that's that's usually the approach you would otherwise do yourself, right? You design something as as someone who's not experienced with that. You design something, and you're like, I don't like it, and then you do random other stuff, and you're like, wait, this part is nicer, and then you realize, oh, it was just in like. The, the layer that you have, you actually needed a bit more elevation to kind of get more depth in the picture. Mm-hmm. And if you learn that, you will learn that even if you're not designing things in the future because you you work with someone else, you're at least being able to say, hey, can we can we try to play with the depth here a bit? And it might might kind of get you somewhere closer to where you want it to be. And I think even that alone, like communication is is a good skill. Like it's always good to have a little bit of information about what you're often having to communicate. It's like the same thing in in management, right? You wouldn't want in your tech... If you have a manager in your team, you want, for a development team, you wouldn't want that person not to understand the technology or have a tech understanding of what you're working on because all of a sudden it's like you have to talk to like a three-year-old every time you're explaining something. (laughs) Ouch! (laughs) Um, You know, there's so much value in, in having working with people who are a bit broad and know what you're talking about and kind of like you don't have to dumb it down to a level where it's almost loses all the value because Mm -hmm. like ideally everyone that is involved everyone that's invited to talk about a topic should at least be able to kind of express their opinions and be valuable in those kind of discussions otherwise they maybe shouldn't be part of those discussions (laughs) good thing you whispered yeah yeah but i think it's interesting it's it's Definitely takes us a bit longer, but I think we're getting somewhere nice.
2: Yeah, but uh, I mean, I I found it to be really fun to do design, the design part myself. And I found that it will be very valuable in the long term for us, because I think we have a lot of design coming up, um, and I'm happy that we can do that. And I do feel like we are both intuitively having some idea of what we Want things to look like, um, so that's yeah, we have good taste. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was my, that was my humble way of saying we have good taste, um, but yes, yeah, so I think I think that's really really beneficial. Of course, that means we take some time away from the development work, but I also really like mixing up the type of work I'm mm-hmm. doing, um, so yeah, I but really it's also fun, mind.
1: like even um, peer programming with designer and, and developer with Swift UI, those kind of things are actually. Kind of what got me, like in the beginning, I was kind of disappointed with some stuff with Swift UI, especially the maturity on macros, right? But as as I experiment more with it and I, I kind of know the, the pitfalls and kind of know my way around them better, I see more of the things that are potentially positive in the future. And mm. pure programming, you know, I've done that a lot before in, in development with the designer sitting next to me going through some design iterations in storyboards or however you lay out your code. And there was a lot of value in that. I think it's Mm -hmm. often that, like having in general, two people working on something together can sometimes lead to a better result. But I think that was a good way of kind of bringing multiple disciplines like design and development together because storyboards is a very, it's still a very logical setup, right? You have to know all your constraints and your hugging priorities and your layout and all of that. So this definitely kind of a tendency of the developer uh, uh, responsibilities I will say um, but it was still visual and mm. I think that was a really nice gap of lending itself to work cross-discipline and I think Swift UI just makes that exponentially easier because you see the results a lot easier the results you see are actually the direct output of the the layout you're describing rather than storyboard where you're like running it and all of a sudden a whole bunch of stuff breaks mm. and being able to just display like what does this look like in dark mode? What does this look like on on a larger phone and on an iPad? And you can have like an entire monitor. You can have a $6,000 monitor dedicated to just <laughs> the different uh, previews of that specific view. <laughs> and I think that is really powerful, especially when you're kind of iterating on on a design with someone else.
0: Yeah, the diff- the. the Interesting thing about that is I've never found storyboards good for that quick iteration thing um, because even though, yes, you can sort of see how things are laid out, you don't really get a sense for how things look. Like, I always found it really difficult to know where to set um properties and things like that on storyboards like what belongs in the storyboard and what belongs in code and then you have all these different states which are handled by the code and can't be reflected Mm -hmm. in the storyboard until you run the application it's just this really confusing mess and i know that storyboards were sort of meant to solve that problem of like visual ui but they never really got there and swift ui is sort of it sort of does solve that and being able to have multiple previews and you can preview in different states or in different modes, like dark mode and things like that, different screen size. Like, it's it's kind of cool. Um, and also yeah, being able solve to that provide
1: sample data with your preview makes that just exponentially more powerful, right? Yep. Because with storyboards, you often, you had to design it for one state and then had all your modifications on that state f- in code for if the data is coming slightly different or if you're missing certain elements. You had to make sure to then set, I don't know, those labels to nil. But, you know, the storyboard would provide it a text, but then you have to set it to nil if if your actual data doesn't Mm -hmm. have it and a whole bunch of your layout things are being juggled around. With SwiftUI, you just give a different data set. You're like, this one Mm -hmm. is a time entry that has an end date. This one is one that doesn't have an end date. And all of a sudden you represent one that's running and one that's uh, already stopped.
0: Mm. You know what I was thinking about Swift UI? Um, and it wouldn't be perfect. It wouldn't be perfect. But, like, you know how sometimes you have screens in your application? And it might be like an onboarding screen mm-hmm. or an informational screen or something. And you have screenshots of other screens in your apps for like demo mm-hmm. purposes. You could probably mm-hmm. do something with Swift UI, and I haven't tried this, and I think you'd run into like some issues with text size and things like that. But if you had an almost like real sized preview, you could probably use a Swift UI view with like mock data. And it saves having mm-hmm. to bundle images in your app that you have to update when you do a new version the design changes. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's just rendering that view each time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's not perfect and yet yeah, would require some modification, but I was thinking about that earlier this week and it would make it a little bit easier. And then also has the nice advantage. I've actually done yeah, that. Like not to worry about updating. Pre-Swift UI ones. smaller. Yeah. No, you could totally do it pre-Swift UI, but it's a bit more work um, having to scale that view down mm-hmm. and things like that.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But how did it work out for you? Was it?
1: Yeah, it was okay. okay. It was it was very simple. It was just mm-hmm. a screen that would show, yep. um, like, the problem with that was it was actually a screen that would show up, show a specific, uh, it was essentially a table view where a new entry would come in and we built this kind of nice animation for it to come in and pulsate and those kind of things. And that was supposed to be part of the onboarding as soon as you swipe. So we actually had a small view controller that would actually show the. it was a real view controller, the one we actually used to build the other feature. Um, and would then uh, obviously correspond to all the kind of interface uh, states that you could be in, like uh, accessibility. And it would, you could actually use the, the screen reader on that image because uh which is kind of cool right because it's an actual view controller you could actually hover over those and it uh it would uh say it out loud which was kind of cool so i thought it was uh that's a good point it's more accessible mm. so yeah. I, I definitely think that's nice. cool it is it is not wasn't necessarily easy and i don't know if it's still in there i don't know how reliable it uh passed the test of time but it was kind of fun uh and if SwiftUI would allow for that more, I think that would be cool. Especially now when we have so many more states, right? Because then it would automatically respond to, like, dark mode and not dark mode and different device sizes easier and those kind of things. So I think that could be cool. All right. Hmm. So much Very about nice. design cool. now is a bit all over the place. That's good. <laughs> Got some digs into uh, corporate entities uh Screwed up design flow in there. That's, <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask.
2: Uh, I don't know if we want to go back to the design topic, but Zach, have you? Do you have like an ideal way that you like to work, uh, like with with designs or with people who are making designs?
1: <laughs> uh, I like them the being in a separate building. building.
2: <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's so much to unpack here, and it's more than five minutes, <laughs> and I don't really want to go into it now. But maybe we could talk about that. <laughs> Lots of good and also bad mm. examples to draw from
1: mm. for that. Do you want to tell us why you're so busy the next month?
0: Oh, uh, sure. Um, so, some news I might have to, st- well, I probably, I know, anyway, I will be stepping away from podcasts for the next few weeks. Um, most likely starting next week. Um, and then definitely for the three weeks following, uh, because I'm doing some travel. Um, so I'm starting a new contract, and as part of this, I found out very recently that I'm required to go away mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks, uh, which is very exciting. Uh, I'm going to Europe, which is Woo-hoo. really cool. Um, yeah, flights have now been booked, so it's, uh, it feels like it's happening. <laughs> uh, I only found out like two days ago. It's great. Three days ago. Um, but yeah, so that's happening, and obviously while uh, away for... Two weeks and three weekends, um, it's not going to be feasible to record. Um, so, for that reason, uh, yeah, we'll be I'll be off the podcast for a few weeks. Kai and Marlon will be um, keeping mm-hmm. it going. Uh, not sure if they're going to have any guests. Maybe they could. Could be a good opportunity. <laughs> oh, no, no, you're forcing yeah. us um, to do
1: a podcast by ourselves no, no, and no, find no, you don't guests. Have
0: to. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, if, you w- if you've ever wanted to have guests on the show, <laughs> this is your chance. Uh, but yeah, also that's no the reason that proposals. I will not be around. <laughs> It's <laughs> the reason I'll not be around for the next few weeks. Um I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about when I get back. Uh there's probably a good chance that by that time WWDC's been announced or cancelled <laughs> for the year. Who knows? Um maybe we'll be close to an Apple event. Maybe we might do a draft episode. Hmm?
1: Maybe there'll be a draft mm-hmm.
0: episode. It'll be it'll be mm-hmm. very maybe interesting.
1: Maybe our business room um, so, to a multi billion dollar enterprise by then. Who knows? Maybe. Or we might yep. have launched You've released your least. app <laughs> and
2: oh, we might have starved to death. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows? It's
0: a mystery. Um yeah, so it'll I mean, yeah, it'll be a few weeks. Um but it should be good, it should be exciting. Um so yeah, that's what's happening with the show for the next few weeks. Cool. Cool.
1: Well, enjoy Europe. Yeah. All right. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I
0: will. It should be it should be good. It's been quite a while and um cool. since I've been. I've never um never been to belgium which is where i'm going so that's mm. gonna be fun that
2: sounds exciting yeah.
1: will be nice and cold for you yeah, it was so. <laughs>
0: yes exactly
1: <laughs> <laughs> sent the australians to the arctic tundra <laughs> mm, might not make it back in one piece <laughs> frozen <laughs> to death well, should actually be okay i mean yeah, March. yeah no it'd be fine like it could have been worse
0: yeah yeah definitely it'll be getting warmer yeah. by that point might be a nice few days mm. yeah all right cool cool should we do things after week
2: yeah things after week sure yeah uh, zach do you want to kick us off
0: uh sure i can kick us off so my thing this week is a safari extension called dark docs um it's on github it's available for download it's um completely public it's It's a Safari extension that makes the Apple developer documentation websites show content in dark mode. Um, I know there's a few Safari extensions that do try to do this across the web. Um, I'm not using them because I think for a project that is trying to do it across the web, there's going to be lots of weird, funky things. You can't sort Mm -hmm. of cover every case Mm -hmm. in that type of um dark mode extension, but I'll happily use it for like a very specific use case. So something like this is only focused on the Apple developer website, so there's more of a chance that um it's got all the cases covered. And I've been using it for a few weeks. It's quite nice. When your Mac's in dark mode and you go to like a, a documentation page on developer.apple.com, the background's dark, the text is light, um, nice on the eyes, especially you know, if you've got your dark mode X code and your dark mode other things on your Mac um, to not sort of have this glaring white Um, background for a documentation page Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah it's been it's been a couple of weeks um, and it's a pretty cool extension it's simple in the sense that you know it's only one one website that it caters to but it seems to be doing a very good job Um, and it's quite nice because because it is often that You know, be working at night or something. And the only light part of my screen is like the Stack Overflow window behind or the developer documentation window behind. And so this is just one less case where um, a a common website that I've got open is, uh, does have a light background when the rest of the Mac is, is dark. Cool. And as we all know, I'm quite a fan
1: of dark mode. So. Yeah. speaking of uh of safari related things by the way i'm back to google hmm. i i abandoned <sighs> my doctor. why did experiment. you
2: why did you do this we thought you would make it this time i was i was rooting for you
1: oh well tell it, me it lasted quite a while but yeah back to back to google what made you switch uh it seems to be mostly speed two things like speed of picking up on things. Like when I look for something, like something specific that uh, might be related to new Xcode beta mm-hmm. in Google, um, it feels like Google is a lot quicker at picking it up than DuckDuckGo was. And Google found a lot of Twitter. In terms
2: of like indexing, what's available? Yeah, like okay. I would
1: I would look for some arbitrary new thing, and Google would find me a tweet from someone who worked on that feature, okay. while DuckDuckGo would not know that a tweet exists yet. And it's not that I couldn't have searched Twitter, I just didn't think of that information to be on Twitter. Yep. Yep. And and Google takes care of that for me. So yeah, I I'm I switch back to it's I, I still stand with that DuckDuckGo that is the came a long way since I tried last, but yeah, not not enough to to last just yet. Um I keep it there f- on my iPhone for now just because I do more things that are kind of in that domain space where I felt like it let me down on my Mac. So my mm-hmm. iPhone stays on DuckDuckGo, uh, and my Mac is back to Google for now. Okay. I guess this is technically follow-up, but, well, Makes who's going to sue us? Yeah. <laughs> also not a call for a proposal. Cool. What's your pick, though, Kai?
2: <laughs> yes. Um, but what do you think of this weekend?
1: Um, do you want to go first, Marlin?
2: Sure. Um so my thing this week is a game that is pretty old by now but I started picking it up again uh, a few weeks ago. It's uh Desert Golfing, which I feel like many people have heard of. It's uh so it feels like an infinite golf game. Um you you have this very random um sort of looking uh desert. Right? surprise, surprise, mm-hmm. that you have to shoot a bowl, golf ball through. So you have to shoot a golf ball into like a golf hole um, and you should do it within as few tries as possible. And it's pretty, it's pretty um, all of the levels are pretty random. Um, they have like strange hills and strange shapes. Sometimes there's a bit of water. Usually um, not though. It's very much just a desert that you're playing golf in. Don't
1: spoil it, Malin. <sighs> People might have been uh, excited for some. Scenery well, change, there, you
2: know? there's still more scenery change to come. Oh, not, no, another
1: spo- spoiler, <laughs> Jesus.
2: Anyways, um, it, it, I think it's a really good game to play while um, doing, like while I'm listening to a podcast or something. Um, something similar, um, just because I found that it's um, it's nice to listen to a podcast, but also um, do something with my hands at the same time. I sometimes do the dishes or make food in rare scenarios, um, but. I think, playing a game and listening to podcasts.
1: We have a a machine for that.
2: I'm emptying the dishwasher, okay? Okay. (laughs) Don't don't sell me short here. I barely cook, but I can say that I'm doing something with the dishes. (laughs) Um, But when I'm not doing this... um,
1: Doing the dishes means putting food on the dishes and eating from them, right?
2: So if I'm not, uh, I feel like we're going off topic. Let's get back (laughs) to the game. Uh, it's a great game to, um, yeah, just play for like, it's a pretty relaxing game. It can be a bit challenging from time to time. Um, but it's also, it's also very, it doesn't expect you to do a hole in one on every single, uh, hole. So I think think it's very forgiving as well. It does. It does. And it's so satisfying when you do because the levels, are very... They don't... It doesn't seem like you should be able to do a hole-in-one, and if you make it, it's very satisfying.
1: And Uh, it's also nice, It's. it feels almost like an infinite game. I know it's technically not, but you can play it for years before you reach the end. So if you're someone who's just comfortable finding a type of hand activity they like and want to stick (laughs) with it for a very long time... uh, (laughs) um, I'm good at, uh, at explaining those kind of things. Um that is it's a good game because sometimes i run into something that i really enjoy mm. but then it just feels like i'm getting stuck always at the same amount of people in mini motorways or mini metro and it just kind of feels like at some point i'm like ah it's it's just it doesn't feel satisfying anymore because you have no progression it feels like you're always dying at the same part and as it golfing is you can play it for years and you usually make progress mm. for years it's quite nice
2: yeah I wonder if it's a bit like knitting a scarf. <laughs> it's like that type of hand motion, like you just continue doing it sometimes something thing it's not uh no it's probably not the same
1: <laughs> in in one of those activities, you have a scarf in the end in the other one you have nothing.
2: <laughs> maybe I should pick up knitting instead. feels <laughs> a bit more productive
1: or yeah. uh. doing the dishes right, <laughs> My pick is I don't really know how to say this Chinesey? chin easy. It is a, an application that helps you learn Mandarin Chinese, and I've picked it up lately um, I, I, because I thought we really need another thing to do. So, I thought, <laughs> hey, learning Chinese might be easy. Um, so,
2: uh, do you want to do this pick, uh, in, do you want to do the rest of the episode in Ch- in, in Mandarin? That no, that I episode? don't want to confuse all the listeners. Okay. Um,
1: okay. So, I pick it this week, and then next week we can all, just all do do it in, in Mandarin Chinese. Okay. Um and I've I tried multiple times to kind of get into learning Chinese and it never really worked for me. This one is very, it's a very visual way of learning uh, Chinese, which I think is it kind of matches a lot more with me. Because a lot of the, the written part is kind of, it has some symbolic meaning, right? There are like specific characters that kind of come from a specific a uh, symbol that they want uh, I mean sometimes you can still see where it comes from sometimes it's a bit more abstract now so um, do
2: you actually um is there do they allow you to learn just the pronunciation and just the talking part no, it's, or do you, it's you have both. to learn you have to learn the written language as it's well?
1: both Okay. it's both writing and and like listening, speaking. Okay. Um, but it's very visual-oriented way of learning Chinese, which seems to click with me a lot better than a lot of the other approaches mm-hmm. I've had before, because you also get a bit of history. Like, they explain why a specific character looks the way it does, and then explain, like, the modifications that you have on those to mean s- something slightly different. Mm-hmm. And to me, just having a bit more of the background story and the cultural meaning behind those characters somehow just means they stick more and it's explaining like this is this is a man with uh the arms extended as far as possible just means you can remember that particular character better just because you got a story behind it it's a
2: bit like a bridge like if you need to learn anyone's name you Mm. might have like a like a like a like a story behind that Mm. in order to remember it
1: yeah yeah and and yeah, I, I think this this uh, app just did that really well. Um, it is not expensive. It's it's free to get started. They do have a premium that's somewhere around $4, 4 or $5 per month. It's not terrible, but you can get pretty far with free. I don't actually... Okay. Uh, I think it's mostly getting rid of ads and maybe some extra stuff. But yeah, it's a it's, it's really good way. I mean, there are a lot of ways of... A lot of apps out there to learn languages. This one is very focused on Chinese and considering that Chinese is very like for me learning Chinese is very different from learning French mm-hmm. for example I think it's kind of good to have an app that's kind of designed for that and I I enjoy that quite a lot so if anyone else struggles with other ones and it's interesting learning some Mandarin Chinese this might be uh, an interesting at least an interesting app to try in the different ones that you might want to try before you settle on one
2: hmm. cool. cool yeah no, I want to learn it too I should have known it. Hmm. Like you said, we don't have enough to nice. do. So, <laughs> cool, awesome. I think that's a show.
1: Mm. Still sad about Burger Mm. Yeah, it's disappointing. <laughs> hey.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: it'll live on. You don't in even know what, what you're missing. For... That's even worse. You might. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: I was excited to try yeah. it. That's why I wanted your recommendation.
2: There is also another one that I quite like. I don't remember what that one's called. Do you remember that on, on the corner next to? Ah, oh, in Glebkai.
1: Ah, the one that chipped my tooth? No, don't go there.
2: Yeah, it was one time. They put
1: rocks in there, bro. It was one time. <laughs> well, I don't need my tooth three be chipped more than once to be annoyed about them. Okay. So, no, no recommendation. But they still have Burger Fuel in the US. Uh, Which odd, parts of the US? Oddly enough, in Indiana.
2: Well, how much is a flight to Indiana? <laughs>
1: um. I don't know. I don't know why Indiana, but if, if you happen to be in Indiana, there is a burial field there, so that in uh, Indianapolis, so that might be an option. Mm-hmm. Or in uh, Saudi Arabia. So and Those the, are the only Amer- two other places? It's New Zealand, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, or US. I feel like for us the most, despite me not having any plans of going to Indiana anytime soon, it still <laughs> seems like, like the, the most, most <laughs> uh, likely destination for us. Mm.
2: Let's see, maybe there is something we want to do in India. Cool. All
1: right, cool. Talk to you after you hopefully survived your uh, Euro trip. Yeah, your cold Euro <laughs> trip? Yes, hopefully. Hopefully. Mm. Should be good. Yeah. And hope you cool. learned some French. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: a bit too late for that, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All
2: right, good luck. Should be fun. Mm, thanks. Awesome. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.